Welcome to the Desert City Church Podcast. What you're about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are spending the summer in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a big word, but it simply means repetition of the law or a repeating of the law. It is a book comprised of a series of sermons Moses gave the people of God before they were to enter the promised land. They had spent 40 years wandering. It was a time of formation, identity, and unexpected lessons. These divine words come to us out of the wilderness. All right, so as today is Father's Day, I wanted to start uh, the sermon today by doing a little activity, and I need participation. Don't do this very often, but this is Father's Day. And as we think about kind of like what, what emotions come to mind um, when it comes to our fathers, uh, I want to do this little activity, and I need help from you. Uh, what I'd like to do is uh, draw your attention to certain TV uh, dads. And if you think that this TV dad was good, I'd like for you to cheer. And if you think this TV dad was a bad dad, I want you to boo and hiss. <laughs> so this is the one time you're allowed to like, scream in church, yell in church. Um, but I want to start with this. The first, the first dad that we have, Andy Taylor from The Andy Griffin Show. Okay. They don't make them like they used to, right? This is the quintessential great dad. Okay, let's go to the next one. Tony Soprano. Ooh, okay. This is like the embodiment of evil. Is he dead? I don't know. I'm not going to know, but okay. Uncle Phil. Oh, good dad. Yes. Uh, if you're, I'm 35, kind of grew up with Uncle Phil. Um, great, great father figure. I mean, he has a son that has a dance named after him. The Carlton, right? Um, but was a very much a father figure in uh, Will Smith's life in The Fresh Prince. Okay, next one. Frank Costanza. <laughs> a little bit of a mix. <laughs> you can't think this is a good dad. I mean, this is, yeah, he'll wear you out. Okay, next one. Here we go. Is this uh, Howard Cunningham? Yes? Like all the young people are like, who's that? I don't know. What is the font? Okay, yeah, Homer Simpson. <laughs> yeah. I believe this character was kind of like built after your, your average dysfunctional blue-collar dad and uh, has his some redeeming qualities, but for the most part, no. Okay, next one, Peter Griffin. <laughs> All right, I think we have one more. Mike Brady. Yeah, good dad, we have the mixed... A very modern family, right? Mixed family and uh, hardworking. So we have all of these different kind of emotions, even as we, we see these characters that, that we uh, grew up with. And, and I'm, a, I'm now a dad. I have four children. And uh, I know it's, we're, Marcy and I are I married Fertile Myrtle. But um, we have four children. And, and our oldest is 10. Our youngest is like one and a half. And here's what I've, I've found out about being a dad is that it, it is... Uh, it's like insanely easy, and yet it's profoundly challenging at the same time. It's easy because to be a dad, it requires that you're present, you show up, you listen, you're consistent. It's like this is cake compared to what the moms have to deal with. But then at the same time, it's profoundly challenging because there's a complexity to the words and actions and attitude uh, that as you interact with your children, um, it, it's amazing what they pick up on and, and what affects them. And, and I kind of like say this jokingly, but kind of serious. It's like I just assume my children are going to be in counseling because of me someday. So I'm <laughs> trying to decide do I want them to be there because I'm like overbearing or absent-minded. And, 
And it is, it is very complex and challenging uh, to be a dad. And some of us uh, had great fathers, some of us had uh, not very good fathers, and some of us are great fathers, and some of us are not very good uh, fathers. It, it, it could be something that's very simple and easy and something that is profoundly challenging. We've been going through the book of Deuteronomy this summer. We're in this series called Out of the Wilderness, where we're tracking with God's people as they leave Egypt and they're traveling through the wilderness. And they have all of these unexpected lessons that come out of the wilderness. And we've been looking through Deuteronomy to say, you know, in our different seasons of life, where is it that God is teaching us in ways that are unexpected? And what's interesting in, in this whole journey that, that, that Israel is going through uh, there's this metaphor that they use again and again for, for God, and it's that one of a heavenly father. We see this metaphor used for God throughout uh, the, the Old Testament and the New. We know that Jesus prays to him as the heavenly father. There's this interaction between God as this father figure and, and his people who are his children. And I want to kind of tap into that metaphor today as we continue through this series in Deuteronomy. And we'll start in Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is kind of the main text that we've been in this summer and uh, Deuteronomy, if you remember, it, it's kind of this big word, but it, it simply means the repetition of the law. And it's the fifth book of the, the law, the Torah, and, and really it's this compilation of, of sermons or messages that Moses gives to the people of God before they enter into the promised land. So they've been wandering for about 40 years, and he's kind of like recapping uh, what has happened in this journey. And he's looking backward and saying, look what God has done. Let's remember what God has done and what we learn from it. And then he looks forward to say, this is what God's calling us to do, to be a particular kind of people in this world. And so as we read through Deuteronomy, we find all these different kind of messages and sermons that Moses gives. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, which is kind of the main text that we've been in, it says this, and this is the version of the NRSV. It says, the entire commandment that I command you today, you must diligently observe, so that you may live and increase and go in and occupy the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember the long way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you by letting you hunger and then feeding you with manna with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted, in order that you may understand that one does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The clothes on your back did not wear out, and your feet did not swell in these 40 years. Know in your heart that as a parent disciplines a child, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Therefore, keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land." There's this mention here is as a parent disciplines its child, so God has disciplined his people. When we first hear that word disciplined, it usually has like this negative connotation to it. We think of like discipline, we think of like strict or punishment or something that's harsh. Um, I grew up uh, with, with uh, a dad that was pretty stern but also very compassionate, but I did get spanked as a child. And I know there's all sorts of opinions on whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I did get spanked as a child, not very often, um, but I remember getting spanked one time, and then after that, my dad would do this thing, and if you know my dad, like, it's kind of hilarious and also terrifying. <laughs> if I was in trouble, he'd be walking down the hall, and he would snap the belt, and, I, and it was like, I mean, you know, 
So whatever he needs, whatever, I'll admit it, I'll do it, whatever. And, and would just freak out. There was this like, like healthy fear of, like, of the discipline that was coming. But when we think of the discipline as, as, a, as a parent disciplines this child, God's disciplining his people. It's this Hebrew word, yasar. And it means to instruct, to bind, to chasten, to correct, to reform, and to teach. It's this idea that, that the discipline comes to, to make them better people. It's not out of this harshness that like God doesn't want them to have any fun. God desires them to flourish as a people, and he's helping correct them. When I think of my children, what's one of the most challenging things as a father? And I remember my dad would saying this, like, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And I'd be like, well, let's switch positions and see, right? <laughs> but now that we have children, and as our children get older, and they act out in different ways, there's this, like, correction that comes because Marcy and I both don't want to create like psychopaths to send out into the world. We want, to, we want to create these good children that turn into good adults and contribute to the common good of society. And so there's this discipline that comes in that requires wisdom and discernment, but it comes from our heart, from our desire to see our children become better people. And so when they're doing things where they're making choices that we know are harmful for them or for those around them, we try to correct that. Not because we're, we don't want them to have any fun or because we're harsh, but because we desire for them to be uh, everything that they're designed to be. So this discipline that comes from our heart, even in ways with our younger children, comes out of love. It comes because we don't want them to make destructive choices. And it's interesting when we think of this metaphor as God is Father, about a thousand years later, Jesus is talking about prayer. And he's talking about coming to, to God and asking for things from God, much like a child would ask for things from a father. And, and he talks about this idea that, that you, having children, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so your heavenly Father, who is perfect and just and compassionate and graceful, how much better of a gifts will he give than even you, and I think of the same thing with us disciplining, like good fathers who, who care about their children and discipline. They're doing that because there's a correctness that they, they want to help the child flourish and become what the child's supposed to be, not to become something that's destructive in this world. And when I think I, I, the discipline that we put in place in, in our house comes out of our love, and yet I'm a human, I'm limited, I'm broken, I'm prone to evil, and at the same time I want what's best for my child, how much more does God, as Heavenly Father, desire that for his people? There's this idea that he disciplines, but not out of this like harshness, but out of this great compassion to say, I want what's best for you here and now and here for eternity. And they go through this journey in the wilderness, and it's this time of, of, of them being shaped and formed and molded, uh, disciplined in a way that they can become the people that God has desired them to be. We talked about these stories of, of them where there's this, they, they're, they're in Egypt and they're freed from Egypt. They've been oppressed for like 400 years. They're crying out to God. He comes, he saves them. It's this miraculous saving. They pass through the Red Sea. Uh, the, the Egyptians who are their enslavers follow them. The Red Sea wipes them out. They're miraculously saved. And then just a, like a month later, they're grumbling against God. They're, they're, they forget that this God that has just delivered them miraculously is still with them. And they're grumbling because they don't have food. And we think, man, I can't believe they're grumbling. God just saved them from like the most powerful empire the world has ever seen. And here they are grumbling and wanting to go back. 
And yet God shows up and provides manna and quail out of a compassionate heart he provides for them. And then not long after that, they don't have water and they're freaking out. And we talked about how quickly you, especially in the desert, can die without water. And they're freaking out because they once again forget God's provision in the past and they start blaming Moses. And yet God shows up and water comes from this rock and it's life-giving. This God who is in this relationship with them and in the midst of them going through these wilderness experiences is providing for them, is shaping them to be a certain kind of people. You could say that the gist of this story of Deuteronomy, these sermons that Moses is putting together, here's what Moses is trying to convey, that because God has shown such a great faithfulness to us in this world, not abandoning us, providing for us, saving us from things that enslave us. Because of that faithfulness, this is a summons to obedience to God. Because of what God has done as our Heavenly Father, this is a, a, a challenge, a summons to say, let's give our lives back to him. There's this summoning to say, uh, we're not just in this for ourselves. We're not just in this because of what God can do for us. There's this relationship as us as his children there's a summons to obedience. And if you want to know what that summoning is, um, you find it here in Deuteronomy. Here's, here's what they're told to do. Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. I'll say that again. This is a summoning. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on their children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. And when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads and write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Because of what the Lord has done, there's a summoning to this call to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And if you want to know the weight of this commandment, we find Jesus saying this is the greatest commandment. This loving God with our heart, soul, and strength. When we think about what this means, loving God in such a way, I always think heart, soul, and strength. These are like three uh, things that I can categorize over here, and each one's different. One has to do with like my feelings. One has to do with my you know, spiritual world, one has to do with, you know, physical. Um, but really, like, as you kind of understand what, what they're talking about and the, the, what the Hebrews are talking about, they're understanding of this relationship with God, to love him with everything. It's more like intricate circles. So to love God with your heart is something that happens inward. There's something inside of you, in, in this private world inside of you, that is given to God. We use the language of giving our hearts to God or inviting God into our heart. There's something internally going on here where all of our desires, our wants, the things that we chase after, the things that we worship, those are all focused on God. Internally, it's our, our internal world, but also like what we do with when we're completely alone, to love God with all of your heart. There's also this cognitive aspect to this, it, that all your mind, this is how you think, this is your, your uh, it is part of your emotions, but what's going on inside of you? To love God with that inner world. To love God with the things that mean the most that you reflect on 
the things that you think that no one else even knows. Love the Lord with all of your heart. From there, this next circle is to love the Lord, your God, with all of your soul. And we automatically just think, you know, well, that's the spiritual realm. That's the spiritual world. To be spiritual people formed spiritually. But soul is kind of a bigger meaning than that. It's kind of like your whole being. It encompasses your heart, but it's, it's more than that. It's your body. To love the Lord your God with, with everything that you are. Your whole being given to him. Everything that you do. And then this third thing is to love the Lord your God with all of your strength or all of your might. And we think of that as this like physical power and that's part of it. But the word that's used here for strength is interesting. This word is used uh, for, the word that's used for might, it's used 298 times in the Old Testament. And as an adverb, it, it, the literal meaning is very. To love the Lord your God with a very. It, it's the same word that's used in Genesis 1 when it says that God looked at creation and saw that it was very good. This adverb that the very, but it's used here as a, as a noun. So it's like, love the Lord your God with all your veryness. Like, what does that mean? I, I was trying to explain it and try to understand it. It's almost like on a scale of one to 10, this goes to 11. Like, this is like above and beyond the veryness of your being to love the Lord your God, not just with what's going on inside internally, this, this private thing, but your whole being, your whole body, and then some after that as well. When this word uh, might or strength was, was translated in the Septuagint, uh, the Greek translators rendered it power. Love the Lord your God with all of your power. In Aramaic, the translator used it as love the Lord your God with all of your wealth. And both of these are pointing in the same direction. For the strength of a person is to simply love the Lord your God with everything that's at your disposal. Not just yourself, but everything around you. Everything is given to God and love. There's an honoring and an adoration where he is the God of our lives, deserves the best of us. Everything we have is available to honor him. We're taking these spiritual gift assessments uh, this summer at Desert City, and these are these gifts that God gives us to help build the church and the kingdom to join him in this work of redemption. We honor God with the gifts that he gives us. Our veryness our heart, our soul, our might and strength, everything given to God. This is what I think Moses is saying, is that the commitment Moses is looking for is the self-giving person who gives all energy and focus to God. Because when we do that, our life becomes a gift to the world around us. C.S. Lewis says this, and he, he has such a great word, way of, of conveying and communicating these these concepts, but he, he's using these words like as, as if God was speaking to us, and he says, this is what God would say. He says, give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talent, so much of your money, so much of your work. I want you, all of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I, want, I don't want to only prune a branch here or there, or a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me, the whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants, all of your wishes and dreams. Turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me, and I will make you a new self in my image. Give me yourself, and I will exchange. In exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become 
your heart. This beautiful relationship with this God, the Father, who when we give everything to him, he in turn gives us the life that we truly desire, the life that's eternal, the life of true contentment, the life of true joy and love. And it's only when we are able to surrender and get everything to God that we truly find the life that we were meant to live. We give everything to God, our heart and our soul and our strength, everything about us to God. Again, about a thousand years later, Jesus is, is uh, interacting with this Pharisee. It's this expert of the law who knows Deuteronomy inside and out, probably has the whole thing memorized, has all these ideas of what Deuteronomy means. And he asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like that, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then all of the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus makes this connection between loving God and loving our neighbor, those around us. There's something deeply connected there that we love God with everything of of, of who we are, what's going on inside, physically, everything around us. And that plays out with how we love each other. We love God and we love others. When Moses is trying to prepare the people to go into this promised land, he says, look back and see what God has done for us. And then because of that, because of what God has done, because of his great love, we should love God with everything that we are. And that plays out with us loving other people as well. Out of the wilderness comes this identity and calling for God's people. The identity, you are a child of God. You were made in his image and you were loved, deeply loved by God. There's this identity that we all have as human beings. God loves us, loves us so much, he would die for us. And this is the story of scripture, God's love for us, where he would do anything to have us, including die. And with that identity comes this calling, this calling to love others, this calling to love God with everything that we are, our heart, our soul, our strength, our veriness, and to love others as well. Tim's going to come up today and close, and we're actually not going to close with communion. We do communion a lot, but I wanted to just take time to reflect today as, as Tim closes us with this song, uh, to reflect on the words and to reflect on these two concepts of our identity and our calling. I don't know where you're at in your journey. Maybe you've never come to just grips with this identity that you are loved, that this compassionate God who is like a father loves you, wants the best for you, will do anything to have you. And maybe today you just need to come to grips with that identity. Come to this understanding that God is here. He's with us and he loves you. And the second thing is this calling that comes from it, this summons to obedience to love God with everything that we are. And maybe you spend a lot of time loving, loving yourself. You love yourself with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And you need to redirect that focus to love God. We find that our true life is found as we give it away, as we give it back to God, as we give it to others. And this identity and calling in that we find life that is truly life. So let's take some time to reflect on these words. Sing along if you want. 
And uh, I'll close this uh, with a benediction after that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your love for us. On this Father's Day, Lord, we're reminded of your goodness. On a day where it's fun to celebrate, it's also a day to be reminded of our humanity, that we miss the mark, that we're broken. We find that our identity is found in you as our Heavenly Father, as one who created us out of love for community. A God that doesn't give up on us, but disciplines us and corrects us, reforms us, renews us. We're grateful, Lord, that we could be your children. Lord, today I pray that this reminder of your faithfulness would summon us to an obedient life where we love you with our heart, soul, and strength, our veriness, the essence of who we are. That, that would play out with how we love those around us, even those who are difficult to love. We would reflect your love to other people. That in giving our lives away, we would find true life, and that the world would receive the gift of your love through how we interact with it. Today, Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would open us up to your presence. In your son's name we pray.